everyone, and welcome to the San Juan Snowcast. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, and you're tuned in to episode 6. Well, folks, as I record this show, it's just another blue sky, dry November day. And I'm not even going to lie, this weather is killing my stoke. Since the start of the month, we've only had a couple of inches of snow here in the San Juans and the sunny days have continuously melted out and faceted our meager snowpack. I mean, this is a snowcast. Without snow, what am I supposed to cast? And I'm not alone in my struggle. Joel Gratz with Open Snow is desperately trying to sound hopeful about storms that are mostly tracking to the north of us, and the Durango weather guy, well, he just seems straight up bored. And if there is one thing that all weather nerds agree on, it's that high pressure is pretty darn boring. But hey, let's not forget that winter doesn't even really start until uh, December 21st. So this is fall just being fall for a little bit longer than we would all like. The days of tracking storms, digging pits, and breaking trail through waist-deep powder are still coming. And this slow start to the season, that's just Mother Nature giving us the time we need to be fully prepared for an epic winter. By the way, the Durango weather guy recently pointed out that during the winter of 1819, it took until nearly New Year's Day for the storm track to drop far enough south to give us some snow. And we ended that season with huge dumps and a historically large road-burying avalanche cycle. Keep the faith, folks, and keep dialing in your systems for backcountry touring. On this week's episode, we'll dive into emergency preparedness and take a critical look at what we should be carrying in our packs to deal with all the things that could go wrong on a day in the backcountry. So, dig into your pack, find that old med kit, and throw away that moldy moleskin, because the snowcast starts now. Alright, let's kick things off with the state of the snowpack and a look at the weather. Now, like I mentioned earlier, November thus far has been very dry for us in the San Juans. With a blocking high-pressure ridge dominating the western U.S., the jet stream and storm track has stayed mainly to our north. The big storms have been sliding down through southeast Alaska and into coastal and interior B.C. The most recent one dumped a ton of rain and snow on our friends to the north, causing flooding and landslides, but also lots of snow on the PAL cams. Here in Colorado, the central and northern mountains have been seeing some of the action, with recent snow bearing some persistent weak layers and causing an uptick in avalanche activity and our first moderate avalanche danger of the season issued by the CAIC. But here in the southern mountains, things have gone quiet. No recent storms, no recent field reports, more bare ground and fewer and fewer places to potentially eke out some early season turns. Where we do have snow on the ground still, it's either comprised of moist grains on their way to melting or cohesionless facets on their way to becoming depth or. I went for a stroll in the backyard zone south of Telluride yesterday, and I dug in on northeast and northwest aspects below treeline. I found a layered snowpack with two distinct crest layers separated by super weak large grain facet layers. And in shadier pockets higher up, the crust was gone and large grain facets dominated the pack from top to bottom, providing me with some unsupported trapdoor post-holing. Good times. Now, looking at the big picture for the San Juans, we're definitely below average in terms of snow depth and snow water equivalent on the ground. 
According to the Natural Resource Conservation Service, which accumulates data from snowtail sites into charts and graphs on snow water equivalent, aka SWE, in the river basins of the San Juan Mountains, we are at 51% of the median SWE on the ground for this time of year. Yikes. And, as usual, snow distribution across the San Juans varies quite a bit. In the Animus River Basin, we're only 31% below average in terms of SWE. Whereas in the Dolores River Basin, we are 81% below average. Oof. Zooming in a little further, at the Red Mountain Pass Snowtail site, the snowpack is about 30% below average. And over on Lizardhead Pass, at this time of year last year, we had about 10 inches on the ground. And as of today, we have, well, no inches on the ground. Also, I just got word that the Telluride Ski Resort is pushing back opening day until December 3rd, citing a lack of snow. But in a funny twist, Purgatory is opening this Saturday, November 21st. So these cold nights have been good for one thing, and that's snowmaking. But let's not dwell too much on all that bad news, because guess what? There is a glimmer of hope that we might just get some snow next week. Early models are showing a potential system impacting Colorado from the southwest starting around the middle of next week. But since this is seven days out, I recommend that you take this forecast with a depth or sized grain of salt. But hey, we got to have something to look forward to, right? Until next Tuesday, when the stormy pattern hopefully arrives, we're looking at partly sunny skies and slightly colder temperatures through the weekend and into Monday of next week. Okay, now it's time to turn to the focus of this week's episode, how to be prepared for emergencies in the backcountry, and what I think we should all be carrying with us on a day of touring. Now, I'm going to try my best not to get too preachy here, but no guarantees. Now, before I dive into the nitty gritty details of what's in my kit, I think that there are a few key principles that every backcountry traveler should adhere to. Consider it a backcountry code of ethics specific to when the shit hits the fan. Number one, we should all strive to avoid avalanches or injuries when we're traveling in the backcountry, and our decisions and terrain choices should reflect that priority. I know that seems obvious, well, hopefully it does, but if you make that clear at the outside of every tour, it will be in the forefront of your mind and may better inform your decisions while you're out there. I don't ski to risk my life. I ski to live my life. Number two, if we are involved in an avalanche accident, or even just a crash, we should strive to self-evacuate our injured party from the field. In some avalanche accidents, search and rescue teams become involved just because the parties in the accident didn't have the knowledge, gear, or ability to self-rescue. And we are super fortunate to have awesome SAR teams throughout our range, but we shouldn't think of them as some kind of safety net, and we definitely shouldn't put their lives at risk because of our lack of preparation. We need to be self-reliant and equipped to deal with whatever happens, knowing that we may not be able to call for outside help or it may not come in time. Which leads me to number three. We should vow to carry the equipment and get the training necessary to respond to and treat life-threatening injuries. Remember, they're called accidents because no one leaves the trailhead planning to set off a slide or ski into a tree. And as it turns out, when the accident does happen, you will either have what you need in your pack or you won't. And 
Believe it or not, that is a choice you make, whether it's conscious or not. When we go backcountry skiing, we expose ourselves to a number of risks under our own volition. No one is saying, you must ski this slope. So in order to take those risks responsibly, we need to be prepared for all the potential consequences of our actions. So let's take a look at the four emergency response items that I think must be within your group when you leave the trailhead. Number one, a first aid kit. Number two, a gear repair kit. Number three, a rescue sled slash tarp slash bivy. And number four, a satellite communication device, which I spoke about a lot in the last episode. But do you know what weighs nothing and takes up zero space in your pack? It's the knowledge and training on how to use these items and how to respond to a number of different medical scenarios. At a minimum, every backcountry skier and rider should complete a wilderness first aid course plus CPR. And if you play a lot in the outdoors, I recommend pursuing a wilderness first responder certification. You can be the best companion rescuer the backcountry has ever seen, but if you don't know what to do after you dig your friend out of the slide, you're helpless. So get the training, and once you do, check with your friends to make sure they have the skills and knowledge to save your life. Because remember, it goes both ways. And in the world of backcountry skiing and riding, we choose our partners very carefully. And now, back by popular demand, it's time for a... Funk Break! Now, let's talk first aid kits. As with everything you may put into your pack, if it's bulky or heavy, you're going to be less likely to carry it. So your goal with being prepared for an emergency is to strike this balance between having just what you need, but not carrying anything extra that will reduce your likelihood of carrying the whole thing. For this reason, I highly recommend building your own medical kit that is specific to the sport you intend to use it for, and also the duration of trip you're going on. My first aid kit for day trips is much more minimal than my kit for overnight multi-day trips. And if you buy a generic first aid kit, you'll probably be carrying things that you're never going to use. Remember, it's important to simplify and streamline your kit with some perspective on what, realistically, you'll need with you. For instance, for a day trip kit, I don't bring stuff to deal with advanced wound care in the field. Instead, I know that I should just try and get that injured person stabilized and out of the mountains into a hospital as quickly as possible. Also, think about where you do your skiing and riding. Here in the Wands, we're below treeline a lot. And so when I think about potential injuries that could happen in the backcountry, I think about hitting trees and the trauma associated with that type of incident. I'm talking lacerations, dislocations, bone breaks, blunt force trauma, and puncture wounds. I'm going to bring first aid items to address these injuries specifically. It's a simple concept, but make sure that there's a good reason for every single item in your kit. That way, you know how and when to use each as a problem-solving tool. Okay, enough with the big picture principles. Here is what I carry in my first aid kit for a day of backcountry ski touring. Item number one, nitrile gloves, two to four pairs. Item number two, bleeding control tools. I like to bring hemostatic gauze, which causes quicker clotting to stop bleeding, and rolls of gauze for wrapping around lacerated appendages. Number three, tape. 
man, there could be a whole pod just on tape. But I bring standard cloth tape plus a roll of the self-adhering vet wrap, which can be great for creating compression in a splint, plus a whole bunch of other tape options in my repair kit. Number four, an ace bandage. Again, good for splinting and stabilizing joints. Number five, several triangular bandages used for making slings and splinting. Number six, pain meds. Did you know that ibuprofen and acetaminophen can be used together to achieve the same level of pain relief as some opiates? Seven, and a small, lightweight, waterproof bag to keep everything in. That's it. Yep, no ointments or tinctures or strips or even band-aids. Remember, my goal as a medical responder in the backcountry is to stop and fix any threats to life for my patient and then to just get them out of there. No matter what you do for wound care for your patient, when they get to the hospital, everything's going to get ripped off and the professionals are going to do what they're going to do. So keep it simple. The only other items that I dare to mention here, simply because of how difficult they are to improvise in the field, are a femur traction splint, a tourniquet, and a CPR mask. But these tools require additional training and practice to use correctly, and may be beyond the scope of your medical training. So, the last thing that I'll briefly mention is I also carry a tarp to create a hypo wrap for my avalanche victim, which can also be used as a rescue sled and an emergency shelter. But you know what? I'm going to postpone my discussion of my repair kit and my rescue sled for the next pod. How's that for a teaser? We've covered a lot of ground here in this episode, and I don't want to shortchange the repair kit slash rescue sled conversation. So stay tuned for more on that in the next episode. All right, let's recap. We should strive to self-rescue when possible. And we should carry things that will help us be self-reliant in an emergency. Within our touring party, we should be prepared by carrying a first aid kit, a gear repair kit, a rescue sled slash tarp, and a satellite communication device. We should ensure that we have the training and knowledge to deal with backcountry specific injuries, and we should make sure that our touring partners do too. Lastly, we should go into each day in the backcountry with a plan for what we will do in an emergency. For instance, how will we get ourselves back to the trailhead? And where is the closest hospital? The tricky thing about emergency preparedness is that you may be carrying all this stuff and hopefully never end up using any of it. But if we as individuals are all well-equipped, then we as a community are just gonna be better off. Remember, it's not just about you and your party. As more and more people recreate in the backcountry here, You could be responding to another group's accident, and having what you need in your pack could help you save the day. So, get your medical training, folks, and then take one of these dry, boring November days to sit down and put some thought into assembling your first aid kit. Once it's all together, put it in your pack and be content knowing that you are one step closer to being a responsible backcountry traveler. All right, folks. Well, that's all I got for this week's episode. But before I sign off, a quick note on last week's show on technology. A listener recently messaged me and told me that I totally forgot to mention Avalanche airbag packs. Those newfangled battery-powered versions are most definitely another piece of technology that we carry with us in the backcountry. And as with the other techie items, 
It's worthwhile to take a quick second and think about why we carry it and how it may influence our decision-making. Special thanks to Jamie for pointing that one out and for listening in with his class at the Telluride Mountain School. I'm sure there are things I missed in this episode as well, so please feel free to reach out. If you have any feedback for the show, thoughts, comments, or ideas for future episodes, you can find me on Instagram at San Juan Snowcast or reach out via email at sanjuansnowcast at gmail.com. So stay tuned and just start getting all those gears turning in your head about backcountry touring. Start talking to your buddies and share the pod with them. Sign up for some avalanche education this winter. If you're in Telluride, we've got the Pi Fund here to provide scholarships for avalanche courses. And there's also the Know the Snow Fund based out of Durango that's providing scholarship money for courses throughout the San Juans. Bad snow years are excellent opportunities to further your knowledge because the skiing usually sucks anyways, and there are probably a bunch of gnarly persistent weak layers to look at. We've got a ton of guide services and avalanche schools in the San Juans serving up quality courses. So take your pick and get educated this winter. And just a heads up, next week I am taking a break from the show. It's Thanksgiving, and there just isn't that much snow to talk about. But I'll be back on December 1st with my take on repair kits and hopefully a look at all the exciting new snow. I always find that the big storms come when you least expect them. So let's just take a cue from this music and feel that warm, sunny vibe. Maybe with a little reverse psychology, we'll get lucky and break out of the high-pressure purgatory. But until then, take care of yourselves, everyone, and think snow! Snow!